You're listening to a DM podcast. Welcome to The Five of My Life with me, Nigel Marsh. As an author, adman and theologian, I've always been interested in people's stories. Not just those with a high profile, but people from all walks of life, regardless of fame. Which is why I created this show. Each guest who takes The Five of My Life challenge chooses a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. It's amazing what you can learn when discussing someone's five choices. I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy making it. Whilst Five of My Life is not a political show, amongst the guests who have taken the challenge, there are inevitably a sprinkling of prime ministers, opposition leaders, premiers and senators. It's fascinating to hear them tell stories that provide an insight about the person behind the politician. Former deputy leader of the Labour Party, Tanya Plebisek, served as a cabinet minister in both the Rudd and Gillard governments. So, Tanya... Uh, how did you find the process of choosing your five? Was that was that a bit sort of confronting, or was it easy? Or uh, it, it was it was a mixture. I mean, there are some really obvious things. I've always had a favourite song. I've always had a favourite author. But trying to um, have a sort of cross section that gives you uh, a bit of an insight into who I am more broadly. I think that was that was the hard thing. I could have just said Jane Austen, Jane Austen, Jane Austen, Jane Austen, but I wouldn't tell you very much. <laughs> it's favorite not the book, five favorite books film. of my life, yeah. Tanya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, listen, well, thank you for taking it seriously. I, I, I really appreciate um, you, you buying into the spirit of it. Now, your film we're going to start with, you have chosen a film from my one of my all-time favourite directors. He directed Brokeback Mountain, the Ice Storm, which is a just the, one of the best films ever made, a Life of Pi. I mean, this bloke is is rocking it. Uh, and you've chosen the 1995 uh, Jane Austen adaptation, Sense and Sensibility. Tell me about that. Well, I, I love Jane Austen. She is my favourite author. And I think this is really the only screen adaptation that truly does her novels justice. Uh, I think Ang Lee has the sort of sensitivity, um, the the light touch that you need with Jane Austen because she's she's very funny. The way she writes is very funny, um, but she does she does give you a, a sense of the whole of a person, so their strengths, their weaknesses, their foibles. But she does it in a way that's very affectionate, and I think this film does that. Like I'm not a Jane Austen snob. I, I watch every screen adaptation. I've even seen the film of Emma, uh, um, which Gwyneth Paltrow plays in, and I, 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 I think that's an abomination to have someone like Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> playing <laughs> a Jane Austen character. But nevertheless, I enjoyed it. But Ang Lee has just the the beautiful mix of humour and sensitivity that you need to do justice to these really amazing novels. And, of course, Eleanor is my favourite Jane Austen character. Eleanor's the older sister um, of the three Dashwood sisters. And uh, Why is she your favourite? She's my favourite because she's, she's sensible, she's intelligent, she's responsible and she feels deeply and strongly, but she doesn't have to display that all the time. Marianne, the, the middle sister, um, 
who is the sensibility in the title. So uh, Eleanor's the sense and Marianne is the sensibility. Um, Marianne feels very deeply, but it's always on display. She's very melodramatic. She's passionate. The, what she reads, the way she reads it, the way she plays the piano. And poor Eleanor's left to deal with the the um, fallout of their father's death and finding a new home and managing the family finances and caring for everyone around her. But she falls deeply in love and she feels that she needs to keep that to herself. And I, I suppose what I like about Eleanor is that she feels deeply, but she doesn't feel the need to display that all the time. So you speak uh, wonderfully movingly about Jane Austen in that film, but, but, but what's it? does she mean to you? I actually um, did a speech for the Jane Austen Society of Australia. Uh, they have a big lunch every year f- um, for Jane Austen's birthday and they invited me one year to, to speak to them and I, I wrote um, uh, lessons, Jane Austen lessons for a young lady legislator. Oh, and I talked, it right, tell me. I talked about, well, I reread all of the novels. I do that again and again. I, I don't know how many times I've read probably... Uh, my favourite Sense and Sensibility, I would have reread, I don't know, maybe 20 times. Wow. But uh, I reread them all in a row and I thought about the life lessons and the, the lessons for work that I've got from Jane Austen. And there, there's really quite a few of them, including, um, you know, the lessons about kindness and about uh, making sure, I mean, in in my job, you can you can think about how you um, suck up to people who are powerful, or you can think about how you help the people with least power. And I think, uh, for example, in Emma, she has the um, obligation to be kindest to the people uh, who need her help most. Uh, there's so many lessons for life in Jane Austen. What I really like about her writing is the way that your relationship with the characters changes as you yourself learn more about the world. So in Pride and Prejudice, you think, oh, what a silly woman, uh, what a silly woman the mother is, until you work out, hang on a minute, she's got five daughters that are going out into the world with nothing because the parents have basically spent their income uh, as they've received it, you would be worried. You would be thinking about how they were going to marry and who they were going to marry and would they marry well. She's a beautiful, subtle, funny, witty, intelligent writer and um, there's plenty of life lessons to be And to have an enduring appeal, uh, especially around gender roles, and to be from such a different society and era, I think, I mean, what what a a genuine talent and gift that she had. The fact that you can be enjoying it and getting things out of it in 2019, given when she wrote it, is amazing. It's just fabulous. And Pride and Prejudice, uh, I think, in many ways, is a feminist novel. Um, You know, Elizabeth is saying... Uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to marry unless it's for love. Um, and, you know, she's quite explicit about how unfair it is that uh, women don't get to choose. That, you know, they end up uh, either married to someone for fin- reasons of financial security uh, or they end up portionless and penniless. Um, she says how unfair it is that they can't just you know, ride off and make their fortune as young men can. And I don't, 
I mean, I, I don't know whether Jane Austen thought of herself as uh, making a statement about women's rights, but it, it certainly comes through in the novels. Absolutely. Julia Gillard is the only female Prime Minister in Australian history. Well, we're going to move from an Oscar winner to a Pulitzer Prize winner. Your book, you've chosen John Steinbeck's 1939 harrowing classic, The Grapes of Wrath. Would you mind telling me why you've chosen that, Julia? I'm at this point moderately concerned that you think that I watch very uh, deep, dark (laughs) movies and I read harrowing novels. Uh, Maybe all of that's true, but I chose The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, I studied it here. I'm in Adelaide now. It's where I grew up. And I studied it when I was at Unley High School quite a few years ago. And it, you know, it was a very adult book in in every sense um you know so in some ways i remember it as one of the first truly deep adult books that i would have read or at least stays with me still i'd read a lot of you know austen and things like that but this is of a different genre and the message in it of the essential dignity of working people in the face of unimaginably bad odds and hardship uh, really resonated with me and resonated with what was my emerging value system. And so it's stayed with me ever since. There's a quote from Steinbeck when he was writing it. He said to a friend, you know, what are you trying to do, John? Uh, and it's, I, I, I love this quote. He said, I want to put a tag of shame on the greedy bastards who are responsible for the Great Depression and its effects. And, and I just think, you know, because you can't read that book without being, you know, intensely moved and, and, and just the, the, the gross unfairness of how we organise society. And, and I, this is just a personal view, is when things go belly up, like in the GFC or whatever else, it always seems that the top end of town gets away with it. And the people who suffer disproportionately are the people at the bottom ends of the bloody ladder. Um, I, I just be interested in you talking to that and, and A, if I'm, if I'm wrong, but B, B, what we can do to make that not be the case. I think that's right. And I think in the age in which we live, whilst um, in a country like Australia, absolute living standards have continued to rise. So um, even, uh, you know, Australians who are in the poorest uh, income strata, you know, live with things that uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago, could people couldn't even imagine of having. So I don't think we should uh, underestimate the kind of societal progress we are capable of. But with all of that, here in Australia and around the world, there is rising inequality, not at the dimensions of other countries, but still troubling as it rises. And a sense that, you know, life for the next generation is not necessarily going to be an easier one. And I think the most profound thing that societies have to believe about themselves is that the sons and daughters of the present generation are going to get a life that's more full of opportunity. And when people no longer believe that, and often for good reason, I think that's when you truly get fracturing and discontent. And so out of big economic shocks, like the global financial crisis, obviously, like the one that we're living through now, uh, making sure that we can keep open 
the pathways of opportunity, I think, is just pivotal to, um, you know, everything that we want to achieve as human beings, but it's also pivotal to the Australian ethos of a fair go. Yeah, absolutely. Would you describe yourself as a, as a long-range optimist? Oh, I'm a long-range optimist, absolutely. And, um, you know, anything... Um, that I've lived through in my life tells me that if you can maintain your sight line into the longer term, then you will see improvement. But um, it doesn't it doesn't come in a linear fashion. And one of the things I talk about when I speak to people about feminism and women and leadership and gender equality is they're called waves of feminism for a reason. You know, waves come with backwash. It's not just forward, forward, forward. Uh, And so you've got to settle in for the recognition that there will be some very big jumps forward, but then some pushback too. I love that way of expressing it. There's another way, which is that the arc of justice is long, but it bends towards the light. That's right. The the arc of the moral universe, yes. the great Martin Luther King yeah. quote. Anthony Albanese is the leader of the Australian Labour Party. Well, we're going to move to the 80s for um, your song on Five My Life, and we'll um, make sure it's on the Five My Life Spotify playlist. But you are in good company, mate, because uh, Chris Mitchell, the long-standing editor of the Australian newspaper, chose it on Five My Life as well. And uh, last week, Keanu Reeves was on Stephen Colbert, and he was asked, if you only had one song you could play for the rest of your life, what would it be? And he chose it. The New Musical Express in 2002 uh, declared it the greatest single of all time. Uh, it's Love Will Tear Us Apart by Joy Division. Um, tell us why you chose that. Well, it is just such a fantastic song and it evokes emotion. I remember the first time I heard Joy Division, uh, I went into a record store and and one of those old setups with vinyl and you could you put the headsets on and I had heard about this band and I played... Um, Unknown Pleasures, the first album, and just was blown away by how different it was and how innovative because I was told it was the punk era and you had The Clash and Sex Pistols and uh, you had uh, the emergence of this sound largely from the UK and in Australia you had bands like Radio Birdman and The Saints the Saints were were before the Sex Pistols. So I, I just didn't expect it. I expected to hear something that was more punkish. Sure. And and it was it was raw. The bass guitar is just phenomenal. And then I got a hold of listening to everything that that I could. And it's interesting that the the two singles, Transmission is fantastic, but Love Will Tear Us Apart, um, which is just an extraordinary, an extraordinarily powerful song, and it has a uniqueness about it. It's not derivative of anything, but if you listen to New Order in their 
later years, and I saw them just a couple of years ago at the Sydney Opera House of all places. You then go back and listen to Joy Division and you hear the continuity which is there. And I think that the fact that uh, Joy Division, you know, coming out of the punk era and uh, and Curtis and the whole tragic story. There's a fantastic movie. I can't remember what it's called about Joy Division that has lots of original uh, footage of them live, and it's just an awesome movie as well. I think it's one of the best uh, movies about rock music that, that that I've seen, and it's just a great song. There are some things in life that have, however tragic, such such incredible authenticity where the poor bastard was breaking up breaking up with his wife writing a song saying love will tear us apart and then he kills himself and then because love has torn him apart and then you know they release the song and you go blimey that's not some you know pop music confection that's a bloke's you know he's he's bleeding onto the guitar basically that's real and then you then you have later bands like i i i dj Occasionally, I used to do it a lot more, and I deliberately will uh, play Joy Division, Love Will Tear Us Apart, then New Order, Blue Monday, which are both... The thing about Love Will Tear Us Apart is as much as it's a tragic song, it's a great song to dance to. And then Blue Monday is you, you cannot stand still if Blue Monday is playing, and then I play the Wombats, uh, Let's All Dance to Joy Division and celebrate <laughs> the irony, uh, which is just a good bit of fun. Yeah, I love it. Now, I need to ask you a question that you hopefully can help me. I've always had a an issue with the band's name, and I don't know how to resolve that. Um, so I feel like slightly guilty. Do you know where the name comes from? No, I don't, actually. Well, I, I, I am... Uh, slightly nervous in telling you because I don't want to spoil it for you. But but the, the oh, it's awful. In 1955, a Holocaust survivor uh, wrote a book called The House of Dolls, and it's about you know unfortunately the, the truth of, of the Germans in the in the concentration camps had uh, divisions of women who were forced into enslaved prostitution for the SS. Yeah, and that was, they were called Joy Divisions. Oh, oh my really? god! Yeah, and so that's that's where they got the name from, and 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 I mean I didn't know that for for years. Well, I I um I I wish I didn't. Well, I'm so, I'm so <laughs> um, sorry to tell you. And but but it's the thing very is very dark. Isn't oh, it's it? but Everything about the band was so dark. Yeah, and 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 obviously they were they were you know just trying to choose the most shocking name they can, and and then, you know blah blah blah. But it, it leads on to. I mean, it's for for probably for a different podcast than this. But you go, gosh, where where does the line for cancel culture be drawn? Because that is a brilliant song by a brilliant band, and then you, you know you don't know the story I've just told, as in I didn't know it until no, you know, ten no. years ago. And then you go, well, now I do know it. Do I do I now no longer like the song? And you go, well, no, of course I like the song. I've always liked it. You know, so there you go. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry for sorry for giving you that piece of dark background. You should edit that out of the podcast <laughs> just for the sake of the listeners, <laughs> I think, so that they can uh, continue to uh, enjoy it. But they were so dark. Oh, it's horrid. And, and the, the film I'm talking about, I wish I remember what it was called, is very dark as well. But out of that 
you know, New Order is happy, uplifting yeah. music, <laughs> but 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 it's essentially the the same band or the same nucleus of the band, of course, uh, without the lead singer. Jackie Lambie is the leader of the Jackie Lambie Network and a senator for Tasmania. Now, we're moving to your fourth choice, which is your place, probably my favourite place on earth. You've chosen Tasmania, the whole island. Tell us why you have chosen that on Five My Life. Uh, because Tasmania, mate, is the eighth great wonder of the world. Let's be honest. Now, I want to be, I don't want to sell it out too much because we seem to be stacking up with you mainlanders down here. Not that we don't love you mainlanders. <laughs> But seriously, when the goes, when the borders are open, you guys flood us. It's like we nearly have to leave. It's getting that bad. You know, we've only just got rid of horse and cart off the road and stuff like that. It's still pretty old school down here to a certain degree. It's not fast moving. Like I go, you know, you pop into Melbourne, you've got meetings over there for four or five days or Sydney. And I tell you, you cannot wait to get home. And as soon as that plane door opens, you can, you take the biggest breath because of the air, even the air quality, it's, it's amazing compared to, you know, those cities and that over on the mainland there. So I think we're just really blessed. We got a lot of diversity over here and landscape. You know, you can be on the mountains and in the snow an hour and a half, or you can be half an hour away from the beach. It's actually um, quite amazing. The landscape it's, it, itself, you know, you can, it's dry over one side, it's all green over the other. It's of course, we have the deadliest animal here. We have the Tasmanian devil, which will just about jump. So, you know, it's like a drop bear, but we call it the drop devil out of the trees. <laughs> and we grow a heap of opium down here, mate. I mean, what more can you ask for? The whiskey, the cheese, the wine. <laughs> Tell us about your family holidays. Did you did you go off camping as a, as a, as a crew, as a family? Yeah, no. So we didn't go too far away because there's plenty of places to camp. Grew up on sort of near the Guns Plains River. When I was a teenager, so we used to take the tents down there with the kids um, and friends and we'd camp down there, take the big tubes down there and go down the rapids. Um, but I think probably my favourite was when up until we were about maybe 12 or 13, we used to go out in groups, go out to what's called Portorell Hawley, which is about half an hour from where I am. And we used to set up the tents and we'd have all our cousins and that out there. We used to take the town over pretty much. And my dad would make sure the container on the back of the truck he was driving was empty. So all the kids would take their bunk beds and put them in there. And that's where we slept. For me, that brings back really, really, really nice memories. Fantastic. And you now represent the island for the people. Yes, 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 I do. But like I said, we try not to sell it too much because as much we love you mainlanders, you were starting to put us in overkill. You were coming down here in droves. <laughs> Oh, it's bizarre, mate. You should be driving around here over Christmas. You cannot move. There is mainlanders, that, you know, you see all the rego plates, everything. I'm more popular them, with them than what I am with Tasmanians. I get more hugs out of them, I think. <laughs> it's bizarre. You know, in saying that, you can see, you know, especially the last five or six years, you've got the young kids out there, they've got summer jobs, uh, you've got the tourism going, businesses up and running that were never that you would never thought would have existed in certain places so yeah and they love it most of them will come back apparently a second time and a third time i tell you it's interesting hearing you talk about mainlanders i did some work on flinders island and they referred 
to people in Tasmania. I go, where's your daughter? Oh, she's on the mainland giving birth. And I go, oh, what, Melbourne? No, 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 Launceston. So you're a mainlander to a flint as well. Oh, no, 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 no. We're actually holding the country up. We're just doing it from the other end. Gladys Berejiklian is the former Premier of New South Wales. Well, we're going to move on to your possession. It's a bit of a royal groupie. Yeah. Uh, you've chosen a photo, a selfie of you and uh, Harry and Meghan. Were they oh, nice? They were lovely. Very lovely. Um, very lovely, down to earth. Um, and uh, was wonderful to welcome them to, to New South Wales. But yeah, I just, in general, I love photographs. They capture a time and place and uh, capture history and um, it's pretty amazing that um, you can kind of look at, you know, when you think about key moments in your life, you kind of see, fl- you know, flickers of images going through your head. And I think photographs are kind of the manifestation of that, aren't they? And, and are you a silver frame type person or do you just keep them on in the cloud or? No, I don't. I, d- I tend not to frame things like that. No. You know, I reckon they're going to come back into fashion. I used to be ardently, I used to be, because I'm quite organised, um, obsessive almost, I used to be very assiduous in my photo albums. Ah, alphabetical or um, chronological? Subject. Or? <laughs> so I used to have a high school. I had high school, then I had friends, and then I had my godchildren. <laughs> me sad, yeah, me happy. Not quite that much, but I, I, the physical photo album I had chronicled and, and put in order. But then as soon as the digital stuff started happening, I've kind of fallen. I'm not very good at that. My sister, One of my sisters is exceptional at it, so she kind of is a family historian now. But... um. I just take things I like and people send me things and I save them, but I'm not very organised on right. the digital side. Yeah, But the photo, you know, when it was hardcore um, photo albums, I was very organised. Right. I, I love the notion of, I mean, and it drives my, my daughters in particular mad, I'll, I'll take one picture. Just like the picture I've taken with you, I get one, I, I went, you know, that wasn't a good yeah. one of me, just take one. Yeah. But then when I scroll through retrospectively, especially of my family, with pictures that have got all my family and I've got four kids, I love choosing one and then saying, right, that one, mm. frame it. Mm. Right, just a small frame. Yeah. And, then that, and that will stand out. Yeah. That, that will be on yeah. the top of the, the bookshelf, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, I've got a few ones like, I've got a few that I've framed, mainly of my family, a few, a few that I like. Um, yeah, but I don't have a lot of them around there. And is it true you have six godchildren? Yeah. Or it is. Right. Okay. Yeah. okay. So, so there's, yeah. there's sort of a, there's a little bit of a, uh, um, you've got to have a few pictures of them. Oh, I do, but I in an album and on my phone, I don't have a lot. As I said, I don't. Apart from my immediate family, I don't have a lot of photos around the house. Right. Because I also I'm someone who doesn't like to offend, and I think you know. Ah. I think my friends, and I've got lots of close friends, and you just worry. I, I do worry about offending people, so I don't oh, like because to. you you haven't. They're not equally yeah, yeah, represented. Yeah, exactly. So I think if I stick to my parents and my sisters, it's safe ground. So, <laughs> so, so my, my, my mother in law, who is gorgeous and I love dearly, yeah. has a. I mean, lives in England, yeah. has a grand piano, yeah. and my wife has three sisters who are all married, yeah. and there are lots and lots of pictures of their very impressive husbands. And there isn't one of me. See, <laughs> the fact that you even know that story says that you're slightly jarred by it. Uh, not slightly See, jarred, I'm crushed. See, and I can imagine if someone walks into your home and sees all these photos and where am I and why aren't I here? So I, I think about stuff like that. I don't like anyone being hurt unnecessarily or... Well, aren't you or, sweet? Yeah, no, it's just not really. It's just oh. I think it's a normal human condition, but I don't like, for me, reducing hurt anybody feels is really important. So, oh. yeah. Well, there is a traditional six question. Ah. Which is, mm. um, who would you like to hear on Five of My Life next? 
Oh, great question. Who would I like to hear from? Probably Zuckerberg. Right. I don't know much about him personally, but I would want his honest views of the world on um, what he's done and the impact he's had and whether he thinks it's the right thing and the right direction. Mm. I'll get on the phone to him this afternoon. Gladys Berger, you've been a real angel. Thank oh, you thank so you. much You're very for coming kind. in. You've been very gentle and I appreciate it. I don't often get treated like this, so thank you very much. It's a pleasure. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this special compilation episode. Check out the full Five of My Life interviews with these politicians and other guests wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you follow Five of My Life, you might enjoy my latest book, Smart, Stupid and Sixty. In it, I write about a number of the issues discussed on the show. It's the 20-year follow-on from my first book, Fat, Forty and Fired. If you have any feedback on the book or suggestions for the show, please get in touch via my website, nigelmarsh.com.